Because here Jesus tells us the principle by which our lives are radically transformed. By which we really will be turned upside down. Now the question ultimately is going to be at the end of this sermon, so what are we going to do about it? Will we follow what Jesus says? Jesus is saying, I am bringing you to the place in this sermon where you understand that you bring nothing. That all your best efforts are an absolute empty hole devoid of any real true righteousness. I'm offering you the way. And our answer will have to be yes or no to his offer here in 6, 19-24 of the Sermon on the Mount. So as we look at the Sermon on the Mount in this section, verses 19-24, we find that Jesus, let's look just at those first three verses. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's not really surprising that at this point in the sermon, Jesus would do what he's been doing all along in his ministry and in this sermon in particular, and addressing the difference between value of the physical, visible world and the value of the invisible world, the things that you cannot see. That's not really surprising. That's the whole tenor of Jesus' ministry. Remember, he's offering a kingdom that is not of this world. You'll find him saying that at the very end of his ministry. I come, he said, in fact, if my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, right? So Jesus is coming, offering an invisible kingdom. Not surprising that he here says, so don't invest in visible things. But the reasoning behind it is really strategic. Now, if I were to to address this, I would probably say maybe the reason that Jesus would give if I followed his train of logic would be something like this. For true and lasting riches, the kingdom of heaven is the only secure investment. And that would be true. That's That's what he's saying leading up to this. But that's not the reason he gives. Or I might say, don't be fooled by the apparent solidity of earthly riches. And that would be true. Earthly riches appear solid, but they make themselves wings and fly away. And that would be true. That's true to what Jesus is saying, but it's not the reason he gives. I might even say, visible things have the tremendous capacity to distract us from the invisible world. That is true. How many have been distracted from the things of God by the things of this world? But that isn't what Jesus gives as the reason why we should invest in heavenly things. Look at the last verse of that three-verse section, and I want to show to you what Jesus says is the reason why, the primary reason why we should invest in the kingdom of heaven. Here it is in verse 21. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So Jesus doesn't take us back to the solidity of heavenly investments, though they are solid, and the, the ephemeral disappearing quality of all the things that happen on earth. He takes, that's true, that's the background for the statement, but the actual most important reason, the most significant reason that Jesus gives here for investing in the heavenly world, in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of heaven, is because if you do, wherever you put your investments, your heart follows. It's really a very simple principle, and it's really very true. 
Think about it in any of your relationships, in anything that you've done or experienced, when you put something of your heart into something, well, sure enough, that's where your heart is. You know, years ago, um, almost 22 years ago, in fact, 22 years ago tomorrow, I married my wife on the 4th of July, if you can believe it. And, uh, yeah, we always can remember, and they always shoot off fireworks for us, so I'm grateful for that. But, uh, no, so we, uh, we were married 22 years ago tomorrow, and um, we went on our honeymoon. And I, you know, well, it was a honeymoon. It was absolutely spectacular. You know, I, we had the time of our lives, and I declared at the conclusion of that honeymoon, as we headed back and got to our first residence, we were living at that time in Chicago, as we got to that first residence, I said, we're going to have a perpetual honeymoon. We're just going to go on a perpetual honeymoon. Nothing's going to stop us. We're going to just go on through life on a honeymoon. Because I'd seen lots of life, you know. I mean, at, at 27, you know a lot. And so um, <laughs> I'd seen a lot of life. I knew that there were people that, uh, you know, they kind of lose their first love. And we're not going to do that. We're going to be different than that. We're going to go on a perpetual honeymoon. And so we started into life. And, and um, uh, God gave us a, a, a baby that we lost. And that was traumatic and difficult. And that's a whole story all its own. But, uh, and, then we had, uh, and then we had our first baby born, and we also, by the way, we moved back from Chicago back to the Northwest here, and, and um, we tried to find a house, and we tried to start a business, and, and pretty soon the business got pretty demanding, we were doing more things with the business, and oh, we had more children, and you know what happened? You know what happened. <laughs> All you older folks know what happened. I started investing in other things. And as I began to invest in other things, you know what happened? My heart followed my investments. And the, the huge amount of heart that I poured into that perpetual honeymoon, I, I just didn't put as much into it anymore. You know how much I got back out? Less and less. Because I didn't put my heart there. The heart always follows your investments. It's just a physical, it's just a spiritual law that happens with our hearts. It's the way that God wired us, the way that we're made. Where you invest, you will have your heart. You say, well, I, again, I don't, I'm not sure I love God like I used to. The answer is fairly simple. Invest in the things of God. Well, I don't really love my church like I used to. The answer is pretty simple. Invest in your church. You say, I don't love my husband or my wife as I used to. No problem. Invest in them. You say, well, that's kind of costly. We're going to get to that. That's the very point of it. It's very, very costly. So Jesus is making, in this first part, we just kind of do a walkthrough, because we want to go back and talk about this in a little more depth. Jesus is laying here uh, for us a great principle, a principle of the way that the human heart works. And he says very simply, invest in the kingdom of heaven, because, because wherever you invest, your heart will follow. It just will. And so we want to take a look at this second principle here that we find, and that is the way to see is singly. So the way to love is to invest, but the way to see is singly. And this is an interesting section right in the middle of these six verses. Jesus gives these two verses, 22 and 23, that almost look mismatched to the rest of his message. Look at what he says. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now, what does that have to do with the principle of investments? 
I mean, really, look at what Jesus says in 19 through 21. He's talking about the, the temporality of earthly things and the solidity of heavenly things and the principle of investment, which is invest and your heart follows. And then he goes on down in verse 24 and says, No one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. We could leave the center two verses out and it would make a lot of sense. Right? It looks like that to me. But Jesus had a very specific reason for putting these two verses about the way that we see in the middle of a context that appears a little bit different. And I want to show you why. If you turn over in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20, we find a parable that, is, uh, that you'll remember. It's about the kingdom of heaven again. And he says it's like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Are you remembering it now? Remembering the parable? So the master went out to hire laborers, and he hired different ones at different times of the day. So he went out at 6 in the morning. The master went out at 6 in the morning and hired laborers to work in his vineyard all day long. They were going to work from 6 to 6. It was a 12-hour shift. It's a long shift in a vineyard. He hired laborers at 6 in the morning. But then he did an interesting thing, and he found he didn't have quite enough labor. So he went out again at 9 o'clock in the morning. And he hired some more. And then he went out again at noon. And then finally, at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, when there was but one hour of the working day left, he went out and hired a few more laborers for his vineyard. And at the end of the chapter, or down at verse 13, I guess it is, here the, the pay is being divvied out at the end of the day. They pay it on a daily basis. And so he had agreed with each one of these for a denarius, a day's wage, and on receiving it, those who, who were getting the pay, they were getting the pay, received it. They grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the, uh, burden of the day and the scorching heat. That he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius, a day's wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Now listen to this next phrase. Or do you begrudge my generosity? Or do you begrudge my generosity? You know, that could also be translated. Or is your eye bad? Because I'm good. Now, take that concept right over here. You find that Jesus is talking in verse 22 and 23. 3 of Matthew chapter 6 about that bad eye. So notice what's happening here as, as Jesus in the vineyard is addressing the master and those who worked for him. They're saying, essentially, they're calling into question the grace and the goodness and the generosity of God. They're saying, I don't think you're doing what's right, God. You know, it's an old problem. If you look back at Genesis chapter 3 and the story of Adam and Eve and the beginning of the world, you find that this is the very train of thought that Satan used with Eve in the very beginning. He said, uh, did God really say? And then he went on to say, God knows that when you eat of it, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the one thing forbidden, when you eat of it, you will be like God knowing good and evil. What was he really saying? He was saying God has a selfish motivation behind what he's doing. He's saying God is holding out on you. God isn't really out for your good. 
the moment we begin to think that way, we play directly into Satan's hand. And honestly, that's what a bad eye is. A bad eye calls God's grace into question. In fact, it really clings to the right, if you look at Matthew chapter 20, to tell God what to do with what belongs to him. How many times have you wanted to say, God, this is, uh, I, I give you my entire life, just do this with it? Or thought that way. Oh, wait, maybe we wouldn't be, we'd be more sophisticated than that, wouldn't we? Maybe we'd say it a little differently. But ultimately, we want God to do what we want God to do. And we're perfectly happy to do God's will as long as God's will is my will. But that's not the way that God's will works. And here in the middle of this section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is saying, first, lay up treasures in heaven because your heart will follow your treasure. Heart follows investment. And then he's saying, have an eye that is single for heavenly treasure. Have a single eye for heavenly treasure. Let all of your focus, all of your attention be riveted by one thing and one thing alone, and that is the kingdom of God. He's talking about a matter of focus. Don't be, de- don't be derailed by Satan's reasoning that calls God's grace into question. Don't reserve for yourself the right to tell God what to do. Don't define God by circumstance rather than circumstance by God's sovereignty. It's a temptation we all face. In fact, Job faced it. Uh, You'll find if you looked at the end of the book of Job, after all of Job's sufferings in Job chapter 40, God says to Job, dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you answer me. And he says, will you even put me, God speaking here, will you even put me in the wrong that you may be in the right? You ever been there? Ever wanted to say, God, I just don't think this is right. I mean, I've put, I've invested in your kingdom. I've done the things that I thought you wanted me to do. I'm not sure it's worth it. I'm, I'm having trouble seeing the payback. The psalmist, if you look through the psalms, found that over and over and over. You'll find that there are situations in the psalms where they look at the wicked and say, the wicked spreading himself like a green bay tree. In other words, he's luxuriating in this world. He's prospering. And what am I experiencing? Suffering, difficulty, trials, challenges. But the psalmist goes on to say, but then I saw their end. So a bad eye calls into question God's grace. And Jesus says here in the middle of this section on treasures in heaven, don't get caught with an eye on yourself and an eye on God. Because you know what happens? It's just like the investment principle. Where will you end up focusing? I'll tell you, it happens every time. On yourself. Jesus says no. Invest in the kingdom of heaven and invest with a single eye to God and his kingdom. And he will give the return. Look at the final section here of this passage that we're looking at this morning, beginning in verse 24. We find that the way to invest is to give all, to invest 100%. So the way to love is invest. Where you put your treasure, your heart will be also. 
then also the way to see is singly. You're not going to see very well if you're looking two directions at once. James addresses that, by the way. That's the double-minded man who's unstable in all his ways, right? He's looking one direction, he's looking another direction. He can't focus on anything. Jesus says, do not be that way. Put all of your attention on the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, the way to invest is to give all. Listen again to these verses. No one can serve two masters, verse 24, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So we were led by the Lord Jesus in this passage to love what we could never love by investing in the kingdom of heaven. We were pointed to see what we could never see. And now we're expected to give up every hope of help from anything else. Every competing affection, every security of the visible world, all for God, nothing for ourselves, because God wants to give all to us when our hands are emptied and our hearts are free. You cannot be under the control or trusting in two opposing masters, Jesus said. You cannot be controlled by two things at once. It is impossible. So it's really a warning in mercy. It's a warning in mercy, not that just Jesus is making entrance to the kingdom hard for the sake of being hard, but he's giving us a warning. Don't invest in a failing bank. Years ago, my brother and I played uh, Monopoly, not terribly many times because we tended to get in arguments every time we did. And one game that I remember, now it was about 40 years ago, so it may have expanded in time in my mind. I think it was about six hours long. I think it's the way Monopoly games go. At least they went for us like that. And of course, it ended in an argument. You know, when I look back at that silly investment of time, I don't even remember who won. And I don't even remember what we argued about. I just remember that we spent a whole lot of time trying to collect little plastic houses and little paper monies that weren't worth the paper they were printed on. Jesus is warning us in mercy. He's telling us, do not invest in things that don't matter any more than little plastic houses and paper money that isn't worth the paper it's printed on. But it sure is alluring when you're doing it, isn't it? Even in a game like Monopoly. And we call this game life, and we run around doing the same thing. We really do. We run around investing in things that maybe look a little more sophisticated, maybe they're a little bit better, but bottom line, they're about like a game of Monopoly. I was just hearing yesterday someone talk about someone's net worth if they were to liquidate. And do you want to know what that did inside me? It made me kind of want it. Why? It's paper money that isn't worth the papers printed on. It's for a life that is only what we can see. It's not going to have that big an impact in eternity. Unless it's invested for the kingdom of heaven. But there's something inside me that goes, yeah, I'd like to be a millionaire. Maybe you're different, but I suspect you're not. Jesus is here saying, you cannot serve me and money. You cannot serve me in having any competing affection. I want you to not invest in a failing bank because this world will end and it will be rolled up like a garment, the book of Hebrews tells us. It will be concluded. And do you know how much that's going to be worth? Nothing. Nothing. All of our houses, all of our, I mean, for me, my rose garden won't be worth anything. 
All the things that we've accumulated for ourselves, all of our little pleasures and comforts, all the things that we've built our lives on here are not going to be worth anything. So Jesus says, do not invest in them. Not some. He says, do not invest anything. Nothing in them. It's pretty stiff talk, but I want you to understand that it's talk that Jesus gives to his people in mercy. Now, it's, that's, that's kind of a walkthrough. It's kind of an overview of what Jesus is saying in these six verses. I want to walk through just a little deeper now and ask some questions that are going to help us to take this home, I hope. So the first thing is, as we look at what is investing in the kingdom going to look like, and, and here's one place that we're going to find it. If you go back to verses 19 through 21, we're going to draw this principle out of it. The thing that you love is the thing that God wants. Therefore, invest at the place where the cost is greatest. The thing that you love is the thing God wants. Invest at the place where the cost is greatest. Probably one of the chief illustrations of this principle has to be found in Genesis chapter 22 with Isaac and Abraham and the trip up Mount Moriah and the offering at the top of the mountain and Isaac laying on that altar and Abraham's hand raised to slaughter his son and the ram in the thicket and God's angel saying, Stop, Abraham. Now I know, now I know that you trust me. Isaac was the absolute epitome of the thing that cost Abraham the very most. He was a rich man, by the way. There were a lot of other things that God could have asked for. But God didn't ask for all of those things particularly. He asked for all of them by implication, by taking the one thing that was the most important of all those things to Abraham. Or you can think of it with the widow's offering. In in Mark chapter 12, you'll remember that Jesus sat watching people put money in the offering. It wouldn't be considered kosher today probably, but that's what he was doing. He was watching people put money in the offering And some were giving maybe great sums of money. We really don't know, but they were giving certainly more than this woman who came and put in a couple of pennies. In fact, the way that it would translate today, she put in about a 64th of a denarius. That's about a 64th of one day's wage. You know what she gave to the offering that day? Well, she gave the equivalent of about 12 minutes of wages. But it was all she had. He gave everything. And Jesus said, she has given more than they all. Jesus isn't just looking for you to give something big to him. So you're waiting, you're storing up, you're trying to get ready so you can give God a big gift. God is looking for you to give everything that you have right now. Well, I don't have much. That's the point. It doesn't matter how much. Jesus is looking for everything that you have. He's looking for all that you have. So where are you going to invest in the kingdom? How is, what's this going to look like when you invest in the kingdom? Well, you're going to look for the thing that you love. Maybe you can identify it right now in your mind, or maybe you want to take it home and consider it. When, when you think about what you love, what comes first to your mind? <coughs> Excuse me. That's probably the thing that God is looking for. I, I mean, I'll be honest. I've had things at different times in my life that have been more front-runner on that stage than others. <coughs> But there, it's very important that we remember if that isn't the kingdom, then we're in the wrong spot. 
Maybe we love our reputation. Maybe we love the things that other people say about us because we're, <coughs> excuse me, because we are, um, uh, you know, considered good people. Maybe we love our time, and so we hoard our time for ourselves. Maybe we love money, people, ideas. Maybe we love the things we have planned for our future. Maybe we love our dreams or our ambitions or our health or our independence. All of those things can be th- things, excuse me, that we love. What's the one that you love? That's the thing God is asking for. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. The word treasure implies a love for it. Why do we treasure gold? Is it of intrinsic value? Well, I mean, kind of and kind of not. We treasure it because it can be traded for things that we want. It's become kind of the standard. Jesus says there's a new standard that I'm introducing. I'm introducing the standard of the kingdom of heaven. Invest in the kingdom. The thing that you, whether gold or dollars, or time or future, the thing that you love the most. Invest what you love the most. Invest at the place where it costs you the most. That's convicting to me. That kind of hurts. Jesus wants the thing that costs me most. And he wants the same from you. Because where your treasure is, your heart will follow. But that's not all he says. The things that you can see are the things that God wants. If you look at that center section, the eye, the lamp of the body, good eye, the bad eye, God is saying to us through the Lord Jesus, the things that you can see are the things that God wants. Invest at the place where visible things are exchanged for eternal treasures. If you look over at the parallel to the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Luke, that's Luke chapter 12, you find a very interesting statement by the Lord Jesus in a little different, a little, with a little different twist. Beginning in verse 29, Jesus says, And do not seek what you're to eat, and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. This is chapter 12 of Luke. All the nations of the world seek after these things. And your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Then he says in verse 32, listen carefully what he says. This is different than what you're going to find in Matthew 5. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. That's called investment. Provide and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. And then he states that treasure principle again, that investment principle for where your treasure is. There will your heart be also. Jesus says, invest in the kingdom because it is your Father's good pleasure to give it to you. Again, remember... This kind of hurts us when we think about giving up. You know why it hurts us? Because we're living in our kingdom. We're living kind of for our things, our kingdom. For, and maybe it's even, quote, a spiritual kingdom. I'm doing this for God. Maybe we have to give up the right to do this for our kingdom. In fact, if you trace the Sermon on the Mount back, we don't have time this morning, but you'll find that earlier in chapter 6, Jesus is addressing the model prayer, how to pray to God. And you remember what he begins with? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom 
come. You know what I really, I, I like to use those words, but what I really want to pray, my kingdom come. My kingdom come. Establish me in my kingdom. Make sure that all the things that matter to me and in my little dominion really are what are established. Jesus says, no, invest in the kingdom for it's your father's good pleasure to give it to you. He wants to give you the real kingdom, the kingdom of things that can't be seen, the kingdom of things that will matter forever, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Invest at the place where visible things are exchanged for eternal, invisible treasures. One more thing Jesus says. Those last two verses. The one thing you are keeping back for yourself is the thing God wants. Invest at the place where God's will crosses your will. If you haven't been hit by one of these to this point, I think you will now. Because again, what Jesus is saying, you know, in fact, if we could summarize all six of these verses into one simple word, I think it would be the word You've probably already got it. All. Everything. Jesus says this is not a 51-49% partnership, and you hold the 51. He says it's not a 72-38% partnership. Did I get my math right? Uh (laughs) Uh-oh, 28. (laughs) This is not a partnership in which you have any share. That would be 110%, wouldn't it? Well, it's not 110% either. It's 100% he's looking for. Jesus is looking for 100% of everything that you have. Some of you are investors, I'm sure. Let me ask you. If you knew that the bank down the street was failing, would you say, you know, I'm going to go put two bucks in the bank just because, I don't know, I can spare these two bucks. I'm just going to stick it in the failing bank. Or maybe you'd say 200 bucks. Or maybe it'd be 2,000. I'm just, you know, I don't know. I'm just, I, I kind of like investing in failing things. I wouldn't stick two cents in it. But we do it all the time. All the time. Because we stick a lot of resources into things that simply don't matter. Jesus says, don't invest in that failing bank. Not even 1%. Don't invest anything there. Instead, find out where it is that God's will is crossing your will and invest there. That's, that's often the place. You know, maybe you know where that is. There's a little friction between you and God. Invest there. There's a little spot where you're not quite sure that you actually want to do. Invest there. That's the spot. You invest there. Where will God take you next to invest? I don't know. Years ago, I had the chance to do that. I was in fourth grade when I was really confronted with the, with the significance of the Lord Jesus having everything in my life. And when I heard that message from my fourth grade teacher in the Christian school I attended in Northern California, I said, no, no, I'm not interested in that. I have my plans for marriage and the future, honestly, in fourth grade. And... Um, <clears throat> I didn't know Melissa at the time. I wasn't ready. I was only in fourth grade. But, uh, but I had plans, and I wasn't ready to give those plans up for God. And I said no. You know, I said no for two years to God. I remember sitting in our church, sort of like this church in Newcastle, California, and holding onto the back of the pew while they sang, I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord, or mountain or plain or sea. I'll do what you want me to do, dear Lord. I'll be what you want me to be. Except I wouldn't sing parts of it. I'd leave parts out. Because, um, because I knew 
that if I sang those, I'd be lying to God, and lying to God was a very serious thing I knew, and I wasn't doubting that God would hear me. I just didn't want to be lying to him, and I wasn't about to do it. So I'd hang on to the back of the pew and drop words so that I wouldn't have to actually make a lie to God. But you know what's funny is that when I decided in the sixth grade, when I finally, when the Holy Spirit finally worked in me is what happened, when I finally surrendered to him, I found out that was the beginning place for investment. When I said, okay, I will do what you want me to do. You know, there's been lots of places since then, and it's that place where God's will crosses my will. The interesting thing is that when you surrender at the place where God's will crosses your will, you find out that God's will is better than the best thing you ever wanted for yourself. But you can't have to trust me on that, because until you do it, you won't know. You can't know. You look from the outside and you say, it's kind of like a person before marriage and looking in on marriage and saying, well, you don't know. You aren't married. You're going to have to take the step and get married to know what marriage is like. So Jesus is saying here, this is a 100% investment. I want all, everything, nothing left in your personal reserves. There is nothing that you have left for yourself. So go all in. Leave nothing behind is Jesus' very important exhortation to us. Years ago, there was a missionary by the name of John Payton. Some of you may have heard of him. He went to the South Sea Islands when the islands were inhabited by cannibals. They had sent two missionaries prior to this point in time who had gotten no further than the beach before the cannibals ate them. And he determined to go there, to the little island of Vanuatu. There was a man in his church, he was from Scotland, who repeatedly confronted him on this point, looking at his life as being a complete waste if he went to Vanuatu. And he would say to him repeatedly, to John Payton, the cannibals, you will be eaten by cannibals, which was a fairly real possibility. John Payton writes, at last I replied, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now. And your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die, serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibal or by worms. That's called 100% investment. That's what Jesus is talking about here in Matthew chapter 6, 19 to 24. He says, leave nothing behind. Invest everything you have in the kingdom of heaven. And if you do, if you do, your heart will follow. Was that true for John Payton? Or was that maybe just the first blush of youthful zeal? as he addressed this man in his church and said, ah, it's okay, I would rather live and die for the Lord Jesus than be eaten by worms. Well, let's hear what he says at the end of his life. As I lay down my pen, John Payton writes, let me record my immovable conviction that his is the noblest service in which any human being can spend or be spent. And that if God gave me back my life to be lived over again, 
I would without one quiver of hesitation lay it on the altar of Christ that he might use it as before in similar ministries of love, especially among those who have never heard the name of Jesus. God gave his best, his son, to me. I give my best, my all, back to him. John knew something about what that suffering was really like because when he went there, he was not eaten by cannibals. But his wife died soon after he arrived. And his little son, and he had to lay on their graves to keep the cannibals from digging them up to eat them. At nights. I think he knew something about suffering. I think he knew something about investment. But at the end of the day, having invested everything he had, did he say, you know, I'm not sure it was worth it. I could have had a house and a car and a boat, and I could have kept my wife and my son. That's a little closer to home. No. He says, I would do it all over again. Because God always pays back on his investments. And that's just the beginning of the payback that John Payton will have forever and ever and ever. So how will you invest? How will you invest everything that you have in the kingdom of God? You're going to invest where the cost is greatest. You can invest where visible things are exchanged for invisible things. You're going to invest at the place where God's will crosses Your will. If you do, you'll find that your life will begin a transformation process. A process by which your affections will begin to be set on heavenly things. Because the investment principle always works. If you put your treasure in heaven, you will love it. You'll find that you long to invest everything in the kingdom... Every hour, every desire, every dollar, every thought. Because your heart will follow your treasure. That's what Jesus teaches. And you can take it to the bank. What will you invest? What will I invest for the kingdom this week?